0: Hi, this is the Reverend Andrew Christensen. You're listening to Doth Protest Too Much. We are a Christ-centered, reformationally-minded podcast that explores the history and theology of the Christian Church. This podcast originally started as a forum for discussing the developmental history of Christian thought, what is often called historical theology, and it has since grown into an ecumenical team of hosts, myself, Stephen Burnett, Pastor Charlie Lehman, and the Reverend James Rickenbaker. We're all interested in the past, present, and future of the Church. We share a commitment to the central place that grace has in the message of the good news, a message we feel often gets lost in our day and age, sometimes in religion itself. A message that is of God's goodwill toward us as echoed in the following words from St. Paul. This is a true saying, and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief one. I pray that the discussions in our episodes, whether casual or scholarly, can speak to how the story and witness of Christians from our past can comfort and strengthen us for today. God bless. Rolling in. All right, we're on. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Um to doth protest too much. Where did I have my intro? I had written out. Um, all right. Thanks for tuning in. Um, we have a good friend with us today, Charles Lehman. Is it layman?
1: I, I say Lehman,
0: most people. Say. Lehman. And he's not a layman, he's an ordained minister. So. <laughs> He's joining us. He's a pastor in Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and a fellow doctoral student at Institute of Lutheran Theology. And I mean, fellow is in like, he's a fellow classmate of mine. He's not a, like a research fellow at ILT, though he may be in the future. I don't know. If um, our listeners, Charles is uh, going, unless I scare him off today, he's going to be a regular guest on the podcast. Uh, Charles and I go back a couple years now as classmates, and we've done a lot of uh, Courses together, but also we each have our own sort of fortés and topics we are interested in individually. And so, the intention of bringing Charles on for a regular basis is to have not only great discussions, but also see where we perhaps you know hold some differences or ha- have a, a different angles to things and perspectives. And although I don't think we have any differences anyway, so um, well, I don't know. We'll discover that. So, uh, I've also decided that this for this podcast um, that this will. Add to the element I've been wanting to grow more on, which is having more of a team of the sh- on the show. Um, our our listeners, of course, know Stephen Burnett, who's been a frequent guest, and so now Charles is going to be on the show in a similar fashion as uh, as, as Stephen. So uh, the podcast has had uh, has come quite a ways in the past year, a little more than a year than when we started, and so char uh, so. Um, we've had some great guests. We've had uh, some fine theologians and scholars, some truly world-class theologians and scholars to have come on the show as guests, and I am very grateful for that. And so this will continue. But looking ahead, we will also have interviews where perhaps Charles and I both may be hosting with a guest and interviewing them or or having Stephen with us too. And so welcome, Charles, to the podcast. Uh, Before we get to the discussion, though, tell the listeners a little bit about you, yourself, maybe what led you to... Ministry, what led you to further study of theology? What some of your theological interests are just I know it's a lot, but I mean take all you know.
1: Well, um I I'm a cradle Lutheran, I uh, grew up in northwest Montana. Um, you know, I had a little bit of a rough time when I was in junior high, but then um had a few experiences in high school that um kind of brought me back into the faith in a stronger way, and so. Uh, when I went to college, I was always intending on going to seminary, and so um, I did one year of seminary right after college, and And then I got absolutely terrified of the idea of being a pastor because hmm. of uh, the weight of preaching. I, um, my professors had taught me that, you know, you literally hold the power of eternal life and death in your hands when you're preaching, and I didn't want that. <laughs> yeah, out of my mind. Yeah, um, so I quit, and I, um, and I went back to college, and I got my teaching certification, and I taught in a Lutheran high school uh, for four and a half years. And uh, my pastor told me, Charlie, you need to go back to seminary. Uh, so I did. And now, um, let's see. I guess I've been a pastor for. It'll be 15 years uh, this year. Um, I serve a a dual parish, two small congregations in uh, Southwestern Montana, um, cities of Three Forks and Belgrade. Uh, Belgrade is right outside of Bozeman, which is what most people, one of the towns most people know about Montana. Um, And uh, I've always been interested in doing some further work in, in theology. And, uh, my wife had conversation with me about this a few years ago, and we kind of decided that it it would make the most sense for me to do that after our kids were both in school. And, uh, that time came, uh, three years ago and, uh, I started investigating, well, where do I want to do my study? I considered my church bodies, seminaries, and um, I also was um, somewhat acquainted with Dr. Kilcrease, who teaches at ILT. And so I knew about ILT because of him. And it was at the time that I was doing all of this research that ILT announced that they were going to inaugurate their PhD program. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to do that. And initially, I was going to study a late 17th century Lutheran text called uh, The Mirror of the Joy of Eternal Life by Philip Nicolai. Um, And then as I started my coursework, um, an old interest that I've had for a long time in hermeneutics and canon kind of came to the fore again, and I decided to shift my focus to that. And uh, I'm kind of glad that I did, because one of the reasons I was going to do Nikolai is that mirror of joy had never been translated but um a full english translation of it was actually published about three months ago so
0: oh really they beat you uh, to the it
1: reasons that i was gonna do that no longer exists
0: <laughs> well yeah they, they beat you to it maybe you'll offer a better one not like yeah, talking i
1: i, that I one. i'm i'm happy with what was done in fact i I ordered a copy and I, I'm probably gonna start reading it in the next few weeks, but um I uh I'm very happy with what I'm doing. Um and uh I uh I tend to be a person who um in theology I'll 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 get interested in something and then I will I'll dive deep and I I learn as much about it as I can and that it, it becomes uh kind of for a while it'll be the most important thing in all of theology.
0: <laughs> That's um, kind of the cur- the intellectual curse or the I I've, curse.
1: Told, I've been told that Luther did the same thing and my reading of him kind of bears that out. Um uh, I have a friend who calls Luther a whole hogger. Um the most imp- or, uh, he, uh, my friend says that for Luther the article upon which the church stood or fell was whatever he was thinking about five minutes ago.
0: Well, he was definitely a very uh, occasional. Uh, I've heard him turned an occasionalist theologian. Um,
1: I think that's fair.
0: Yeah. He, it would take a certain circumstance, a certain event would happen that would uh, direct his attention. He would direct his attention toward and That's when he would do theology. That's what's fascinating about him. It's, it's, it's uh, his, development of thought and theology is is so tied to his personal biography so but um I did uh, so yes uh, Charles and I are both at ilt and uh, so this this is not like an ILt podcast it's kind of turning <laughs> into that now. Um, so just a disclaimer we do not claim to sh- uh, represent uh what, what's the wording we don't um our views may or may not reflect ILT. ILts. <laughs> <Institute of Lutheran laughs> We're gonna avoid a uh, uh yeah, so um, but anyways, and of course we've also had Dr. Kilcreese on this show as a guest a couple times uh, uh who Charles referred to uh, a while ago but um and I did not know you taught uh high school- well, I knew you had teaching experience, but I did not know that you were actually like a certified teacher prior to ordained ministry mm-hmm. what yeah, subjects. Yeah.
1: I I did my uh, teacher ed uh, work at Concordia University in Seward, Nebraska. And so for oh four or five years, I can't remember exactly, I actually had a a Nebraska teaching certificate, but I I did all my teaching at two Lutheran high schools in Illinois. Um, I happened to graduate mid-year, so I filled in for a person who had left halfway through the school year. At Lutheran High in Springfield, Illinois for one semester. And then I got a call to Luther East High School in Lansing, which is on the southeast side of Chicago. Um, and okay. I was there for four years and um, taught mostly theology, but a little bit of English and speech
0: and that kind of stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, what subject? Oh, so English and speech. Okay. Um, so today... We are talking about a long Latin term, and we put it out on Instagram. Um, the communicatio idiomatum. Communicatio idiomatum. And under that term fall uh, several different genera. From this. I, so uh, I don't. Christology is not my forte. I mean, I, I know enough to not be a heretic. But, um, (laughs) which is like just being Niceno. Um, So no offense if we have non-Niceno listeners, but uh, this is uh, really, I hope this discussion will probably bring us into crucial differences between the Lutheran tradition and the Reformed tradition. Um, And underneath that, Communicatio idiomatum uh is several well basically the idiomatum involves Christology and the way Christ's nature relate to each other. Is that correct? Okay. I, th-
1: I think that's a good description. I mean communicatio idiomatum simply means uh communication of attributes. Okay. And and so um in the Lutheran understanding of the communicatio idiomatum, there are three ways in which the communication of attributes happens, and um, and the, there's there's two of them that I think that probably uh, most Christians are in substantial agreement on. Um, but it's the second one, uh, which is, or sometimes uh, Dr. Kilcrease would remind me that uh, some Lutheran texts call it the second, and some the third. The gainus myostaticum is. The, or the 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 genus of majesty is the is the one that uh, is is most divisive between Lutherans and certain other confessions, particularly um, in the 16th century. Uh, continental cal- Calvinism and uh, Lutheranism uh, did not meet at all on that one. In fact, there was a famous debate uh, between uh, Theodore Beza. And uh Jacob Andre on that particular topic. It Bates the is the reformed about, guy. It was, it was most of it. It was called the um ah it at the it, it just left my mind. Um
0: Bates is the reformed guy, correct? Yeah, and,
1: Bates, uh, Bates was um yeah, he was um kind of Calvin's successor, um, and uh was at the Synod of Dort, I think. Um okay. And uh, so, really, um, really hardcore Calvinism often finds its uh, roots in Beza or John Knox or somebody like that. But, right. Um, and Andre was one of the second generation uh, Lutheran reformers who helped to write uh, the formula of Concord. Um, I'm really embarrassed that I can't remember the name of that debate at the moment it'll probably come to me in a few minutes
0: it may i have a question uh another question for you but before before when you mentioned formula of concord so i was on ancestry.com maybe three or four months ago and i was as my great aunt who also does ancestry would say i was playing in my tree or i went to go play in my tree that's when you go and and you and you binge like four hours on ancestry.com i don't know if you do answer i'm a genealogy person but I found I have a direct ancestor who signed the Formula of Concord, interestingly enough.
1: That's fantastic. And I don't remember the guy's
0: name, but I'll just have to go and try to I'm find him. I'm sure
1: that I don't because my ancestors are primarily um Zweeney and Reformed from Switzerland. So uh,
0: <clears throat> when did uh when did y'all become how did that change?
1: Well, my, my grandfather married a Lutheran okay um, and that was the end of it uh but uh i i don't know i don't know how far back her um her 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 roots go in lutheranism
0: okay um so the genus Majesticum. so i'm reading off my so i did uh 2 years ago for our listeners uh, we we mentioned Dr. Kilcrease. The only notes I have for this show are is a final a copy of uh, completed final exam from spring 2019. So that was about two years ago. Now, oh my gosh, it's 2022. This is almost three years ago, um, where uh, I learned about the uh, communicatio idiomatum and the and these what we're discussing today. So, um, but Charles, so tell us a little bit. What does the genus Majesticum mean, and I'm mispronouncing
1: it. Uh,
0: myostaticum.
1: Right. Um, myostaticum. The Gainus um talks about the relationship between Christ's uh, divine nature and his human nature, and uh, what it says is that all of the attributes of Christ's divine nature are communicated to the human nature. So, an example of that would be um, in First John, we have. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And so in, in that text, uh, John is saying that this human blood has this divine power of washing away sin. And so the question is, how could human blood have divine power? And uh the answer that the Gainus Myastaticum gives is that when um when the incarnation happened and uh, the eternal son of god took on a human nature that human nature received from the divine nature um the power of the divine nature and that and because of that the um the blood of jesus has this divine power of um of being able to cleanse sin athanasius actually talked about this a little bit in um in on incarnation and in another uh Another example Athanasius used was um, the incident where where Jesus spits into the ground and he makes mud and then he puts it on the person's eyes and then um, they receive their sight back. And uh, Athanasius says that the divine spittle had had the power to do that. Um, And so um, that's that's another example that sometimes is used to talk about the majestic genus um another one would be um like uh when at the beginning of jesus's ministry when he preaches that sermon in nazareth that makes everybody want to throw him off the cliff uh i can't remember which of the gospels it it's in but oh the you know,
0: synagogue it's, at Capernaum i um, think i think that's
1: well, th- I'm talking about at Nazareth.
0: Um, oh, the City synagogue. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. So, um, I can't remember which gospel it is, but one of the gospels just mentions they were about to um, throw him off the cliff, and he departed from them, or he, the 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 image is that he just kind of passed through the through. passed
0: through the crowds, right? He walks through the crowd, and they can't yeah.
1: lay a hand on him. Or another example would be uh, that weird story where. The woman has the hemorrhage and she grabs hold of his robe and uh and the power goes out and she's healed um all um all of those things would be examples yeah. of um, the gainus myostatican um but actually the most important one would probably be um for lutherans anyway matthew 28 20 i am with you always to the very end of the age um that text is uh, one of the primary texts that we like to use when we're talking about um, Jesus being present in the supper. Actually, because it is a confession of the the ubiquity of Christ's human nature—that the idea that His human nature is everywhere. Right. And uh, the way that Martin Chemnitz would express that was um, that. Um, a man made the promise. I am with you always to the very end of the age, and a man keeps the promise. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the reason why that's even a possibility is because the man who makes the promise is also God. And um, and and all of these uh divine attributes have been communicated to the human nature. And uh um in in debates with the reformed, like with between Andre and Bates of uh, the the uh the adage that is often brought up on the reformed side is that the finite is not capable of the infinite and uh the lutheran rejoinder is um i guess you could kind of summarize it as unless jesus says it is <laughs>
0: unless you're right
1: well uh so One of i my think teachers, norman nagel always said that uh there are things that you can say about Jesus that if you said them of any other person would be utter nonsense, but with, with Jesus, they become
0: the most. The well, most like, truth. like divine spittle. I think that's what divine we're going to name. Yeah. I think it's, we're going to name this episode, the divine spittle. Um, <laughs> I always like the, I always try to pick a, a uh, episode title from something that the guest <laughs> says, but um, so you meant that so but divine, well, one example I remember Dr. Kilcrease using this as an example of the genus Maya Did I pronounce it right? Finally, yeah, myostaticum, okay.
1: That's right.
0: Um, an example Dr. Kilcrease would use was Jesus passing through through closed door or through through the walls, right? Uh, Post resurrection, mm-hmm. but um, you know, so it, but it sounds like what it what it sounds like to me is that. This theological uh, position of the Lutheran tradition accounts for the many instances you see in the Gospels where something that is ordinary does the extraordinary and the mer- the miraculous, right? Um, and like you said, I guess, with the, the professor, you, Norm Nagel, who said that if, if you were to attribute any of these other things to another person, besides Jesus, it would just sound like nonsense. So, um, I am curious, I, I know you mentioned the reformed position is the finite cannot contain the infinite. That's a very classic trademark reform thing, but what would be, I guess, the reformed rejoinder the best. I mean, I know we don't have a reformed person on the show. Maybe we'll have a debate sometime, I, I always try to like be more fit. Cause I have a lot of like, uh, I do have, we've had people from all stripes on the show, but we've had quite, there's been a consistent uh, Lutheran, I guess, affinity in, in some way. And so I was, I, I should uh, try to get some more uh, reform to try to, to really articulate, you know, fully what their, you know, their position on things like this, but what would be the reformed, um, not maybe not rejoinder, but just the, how do the reformed understand it? Cause obviously the reformed, you know, they, they too believe that Jesus did the miraculous and he did the extraordinary things. So what, I mean, what would it be?
1: Well, one of the, one of the primary concerns that I've heard raised by the reformed uh, regarding this issue is um, that if, 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 if uh, Jesus, human nature has all the divine attributes, then is it even really a human nature? Because, you know, I can't, I mean, I am sitting here in this chair in my dining room Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and, uh, and you're sitting in your chair, um, in your house in Louisiana and, uh, and you're not here and I'm not there. And, and so, so the argument would be that, that this, uh, the fact that our bodies are circumscribed that they are in one place and not in another is essential to, to human nature. Sure. And that if you remove that, then you do not have a human being. Um, and, uh, you know, as as a Lutheran, I would simply say, well, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, but it's simply not the way that the scriptures speak. And so, um, since the scriptures do speak of this particular man being with us always to the very end of the age, for example, he is. Um, and, uh, and 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 uh, Lutherans are really, really, um, we really want to confess that Jesus is a man all the way. I mean, as far as that takes us, we'll go there sure and we want to confess that he's god and as far as that takes us we'll go there too
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and when those two things uh seem to contradict one another um i mean w- what i would say is that um that apparent conflict or contradiction is only apparent it's it's not real because um if you if you look at one of us as a like a fallen human being, and you and you try to understand what the nature of humanity is on the basis of looking at you know Drew or Charlie, right, you're gonna get it wrong. Right. Because um, we are not human at this moment in the in the way that humans were created to be, but sure. Jesus is. Right. And so um if you want to know what a what a human being looks like, um, uh, you, you look at the crucified one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you don't look at one of us. Um, uh right. Just a moment. My son is homesick from school, and he is making noise. Jordan, oh, you're fine. Yeah. Can you go in your room and play with your balloon, please? <laughs> um um my my son is very 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 eight
0: Our well and he's very very sick and our prayers are with him so um so so it sounds like yeah um so for the the for the lutheran position to me it sounds like that it also sounds to me like there's an emphasis on because the Maya, Maya Saticum is trying it is is accounting for communication of the natures and therefore the unity of the natures. I mean, that's always kind of the question. It's like how is something united but also distinct from each other? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fact, and that's s- something
1: that the church has been struggling with for two thousand years,
0: right? Right. And it sounds to me that um, the reform, and again, we don't have a reformed voice on here though. I mean, some people would argue Anglicans are just as reformed Mm. as the reformed, (laughs) but I mean, it's, that's not necessarily the case. And uh, that's not necessarily my background either. So, uh, but from what, from what I could gather a reformed position would say like to not, their concern may not be to, confuse or mix or maybe not to compromise the divine nature at the expense of the divine at the, of the human nature and so uh, they want to preserve the integrity of of each and so um, but while the Lutheran position would say um, that there is a communication and a participation of the two natures of Jesus in each other Um. Not quite. Not quite. Okay. Uh, yeah.
1: So um, one thing I forgot to mention is um, and this is a this is a phrase that's great to bring up at dinner parties. I forgot to mention the non-reciprocity of the second gainus.
0: Um, the non-reciprocity, okay.
1: <laughs> so so uh, the human attributes are not communicated to the divine nature. It's only one the way. Divine attributes are communicated to the human nature. Yeah, okay. it's one way. Um, and so, for example, you know, I mentioned circumscription. That's not that doesn't go to the divine nature because then um, the, then you end up in a situation where there are many things that the scriptures say that you can't confess. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and that that's a kind of a ruling uh, Lutheran concern when we're trying to describe these things is. Is it, um, if we say that, are we going to be able to confess what the scriptures say? Um, And if the answer is no, then we obviously got it wrong. Um, And uh, sometimes theologians come up with an idea, and the idea is so appealing to them that they... they, they try to force the biblical data into it. And of course, you know, Lutherans are accused of that too, but, um, I mean, we really do try not to do it. And I, I mean, I don't right. know of a very many people who are conscious of when they, that when they are doing it, but I mean, we all have a tendency to do that, uh, from time to time, theologians paint themselves into theological corners and then they'll, you know, fight to the death. Um, to defend something that they probably should just say, well, yeah, that, that wasn't quite right. <laughs> right. Um, and, and, and so uh, um, we, we wouldn't say that the natures participate in each other exactly, because that kind of might hint at at reciprocity mm-hmm. in, in the, in the gainus myostaticum, and, and we don't want to go there. But um, this, this might be where it might be helpful to bring in the
0: other two gainuses. Uh, and that would be the apostolismaticum,
1: Uh apotelismaticum. Apotel- and idiomaticum. I
0: think it's aspetalis. Okay, apotalis. Okay. Yes, so, share share about those okay. two.
1: So the first the first one the um the the genus idiomaticum, um which is very similar to genus idiom or the communicatio idiomatum, You just add a ick in there. So the genus idiomaticum um, is is, is uh, this is the, the gayness that, that rules um, almost everything that I preach on Christmas and Good Friday. Okay <laughs> it, and how so um, it's it's it it says that whatever you can say about either of the natures you can say about, um, the eternal word. So, um, you know, I, on Chris, I I don't think there has been a single Christmas day since I was ordained that I have not preached that God pooped in his diaper.
0: Emphasizing uh, the human, the human nature.
1: Well, and, 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 and that's that when, when this uh, this this when the baby that that Mary gave birth to poops, it is God pooping.
0: <laughs> so now we're going to have to name the episode "God Pooping."
1: <laughs> and everybody will know that I was on it. Then
0: I bet yeah. it'll get like a lot of <laughs> listens. We'll probably have a lot of like edgy atheists like listening to this, and then they'll they'll be totally disappointed.
1: And, and so, and, and or they might be
0: converted to the faith.
1: <laughs> this ends up playing into you know some other early church controversies too, like the uh the is Mary the Theotokos or the Chrysticus? Sure. Uh, that is, is she the bearer of God or simply the bearer of the Christ? And um, and I would say she's clearly the bearer of God because the baby to whom she gave birth is God. Mm-hmm. And and that that's uh Gainus idiomaticum talk. Yeah. Um, and and the reformed, you're, you're talking about the human person Jesus, uh, you know the human being, and you refer to 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 him as God. And so, um, Good Friday, you know the way this works out is you know God was nailed to the cross, God bled, God died. Um, that kind of language is also um, gainus idiomaticum talk. Um. And, and so I have a friend who, who he likes to play this game when he's uh, talking about Christology to a new group of people. He has three questions. Um, there are three true-false questions that he asks. So this, um, these are from my friend uh, Heath Curtis. Um, and and the, the first question is, uh, true-false, uh, Mary is the mother of God. And the second one is, true-false, um, God died on a Friday afternoon. And the, and the third one is true or false. A man runs the universe and they're all true. Um, Mary's the mother of God because Jesus is God. Um, God died on a Friday afternoon because Jesus died on a Friday, Friday afternoon, and he is God. And a man runs the universe because jesus runs the universe and he is a man um and uh it if you ask those questions to a group of people and ha- have them give you a show of hands you'll never be in a group where everybody gets all three right right and 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 you'll you'll be able to then have really wonderful conversations with those people about what it was that tripped them up and um and then you can you can guide them into um the and, and from my perspective greater joy in uh in who Jesus actually is. And uh and uh, I mean I I first I first came to understand all this stuff in a um in a deep way by looking at at this weird Latin terminology. Right. <laughs> it's um that That's why this is one of my favorite things in Christology is because um, when I read the scriptures with this stuff in mind, um, everything clicks so much nicer and more beautifully. And, uh, and I also really enjoy, um, you know, talking about God pooping in his diaper and dying on a cross.
0: Well, I don't know. I also might want to title the episode now a man runs the universe, <laughs> but there may be like certain feminists that get offended by that.
1: <laughs> we could title it a human... I'll give you another one. I have a friend who, uh, when when she's talking about this kind of stuff, <laughs> the way that she likes to put it is, God
0: had a schmuck. A schmuck is schmuck a... Schmuck
1: is the Yiddish word for foreskins. Um, okay. And, the and only so, thing I remember
0: schmuck from is a. Uh, I just remember like people like calling, like, yeah, like in movies I've seen where it's like a New York person, you know, probably Jewish, calling someone a schmuck, like it's a just like, oh, he's a, he's a he's group. somebody, It's a an post insult, post. but I did not know it was a foreskin. So, okay.
1: <laughs> that's why it's an insult.
0: Um, gotcha.
1: And the thing that you cut a schmuck off of is a putz.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's
1: why those are both insults
0: and i've heard putts as well it, again in some movie with some guy from new york um, um you know
1: so um but but uh, i mean you can't make too much of a man of jesus uh i i mean uh we uh, because
0: we're the way we see man and talk about man is so, is so uh influenced by our view of 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 a humanity which has fallen is Mm -hmm. what you're saying right right
1: and uh i mean from my perspective um jesus had to be a man and and by and he and in this in this case i especially mean male um because uh when god created um the universe he gave dominion to the man and it was the man's sin i mean this is romans five Mm-hmm. Um, it was the man's sin that put us all into bondage to decay, and so um, it had to be a man to fix that.
0: Um, mm-hmm. Old Adam, New Adam. He would have
1: been the only one to eat the fruit; she would have died. Yeah, the rest of the universe would have been okay, but when a- Adam ate it, the one who had dominion over all of creation fell into sin, and so all of creation fell into sin with him. So, I, I mean, I, I don't think that it's uh, in any way accidental um, that Jesus is a man. I don't think it has anything to do with, you know, first century Jewish culture, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was theologically necessary.
0: Mm-hmm. Um kind of maybe shifting gears a little bit, but I'm picking off something you said in kind of your opening um, when you were kind of introducing all this to us. You mentioned Martin Chemnitz. Um, and so share a little bit about the history because these this is from the Lutheran tradition. Sure. Uh, Martin Luther uh, did not formulate it as we formulate this stuff as we've been talking about
1: this um this well, was a... i mean he, he he spoke in many of these ways but uh the yeah i'm not i'm, at, I'm not making yeah, a luther yeah, versus
0: so, the lutherans so, argument
1: so, <laughs> so um in in the lutheran tradition um we do like luther but um he is not um he doesn't run the show in terms of what we believe teach and confess sure We have a a book, which is a collection of documents called the Book of Concord, which was compiled in 1580. Um, And it starts with just uh, what we call the three ecumenical creeds, Apostles, Nicene, and Athanasian. Um, And then it has the Augsburg Confession, which was written in 1530. Uh, The emperor required Lutherans to make a confession of faith, and we gladly did. That was the Augsburg Confession in 1530. And then um, uh, the Roman church responded to it with what they called the confutation. And so the next document is called the Apology or Defense of the Augsburg Confession. That's the longest document in the book of Concord. And then um, Luther wrote two catechisms. They're the next two things. Um, and then he wrote a document. Which he thought was going to be toward the end. He thought he was dying, and he wrote this the small called articles. Um, but he lived quite a while after they, they were <laughs> written. Um, and then there's an appendix called to the small called articles called Treatise on the Power and Primacy of the Pope. And then the last document is the formula of Concord, and that's where Chemnitz comes in. So I if I don't have it off the top of my head, but Luther died in 1546. I think that Chemnitz was born like a year before or a year after mm-hmm. their die,
0: but he's like a second generation. Yeah,
1: yeah. he's often Lutheran called a Second Martin um, because he was Martin Chemnitz, and so the um, the Formula of Concord was largely written by Martin Chemnitz was the kind of the head honcho. And then he was helped by two other guys named David Kytraeus and Jacob Andre. Jacob Andre being the one that debated you
0: mentioned about earlier about
1: all this stuff. Yep. And mm. uh, and the Formula of Concord um, addressed all kinds of controversies that had arisen among the Lutherans um, between um, Luther's death in 1546 and when the formula was written in 1578. I think it was. Um, and so the two places in the, in the book of Concord where the communication of the attributes come up are in the Apology to the Augsburg Confession, which was written by Melanchthon, who was a colleague of Luther. Um, and, uh, Luther had input into the Apology and then in the formula of Concord, um, that's where the, the, the two main places where this shows up in, in early Lutheranism. And then after that point, um, I mean, anytime you've got a, got a Lutheran writing about Christology, this stuff is gonna, it's going to be in there um, because it kind of became the, the standard framework to talk about the hypostatic union after that point. But um, those documents in the book of Concord for a lutheran like me <laughs> um i mean there's lots of different kinds of lutherans but for a lutheran um of the confessional tradition um those are th- those define um who we are so um you can if you read the book of concord and then you talk to a lutheran pastor if what they say is similar to what you hear in the book of concord then um, by my standard, they would be a Lutheran, and if if it doesn't, then they're 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 not because mm-hmm. they're not, you know, confessing what we've agreed is the the true exposition of Scripture.
0: Um, um,
1: was the one who compiled that whole book.
0: Yeah, the first to really synthesize it all. Um, and this. I was reminded as you were talking about some of that history and I think Dr. Kilcrease may have brought this up. Um, the Gainus Maya my, asceticum is, uh, is it something that it wasn't this something that the Lutheran looked to the East for? Um, as in, and for our listeners, as I mean, Eastern Orthodoxy. Well, I, I
1: mean, it's, it's pretty Cerulean in, in a certain sense. Um, um, uh, one of my one of my teachers um uh, once suggested that if you squint really hard um lutheran Christology is almost monophysite um, but only monophysite in the sense that Cyril of alexandria was a monophysite and he really wasn't um but the way that we confess the two natures is very very similar to what I mean, I would say it's very similar to what you'd hear in Cyril of Alexandria, um, but uh, I think we're even more grounded in. Um, and and I I am not really well read in this, so I'm just kind of shooting from the dark. But um, I think we're we're uh, even more grounded in what's called the Neo-Calcedonian tradition. So, um, the Council of Chalcedon is the one that. That Cyril was involved in, and uh, the main heretical opponents were um, Eutychus and uh, Nestorius. um, One of whom believed in kind of a—I call Eutychus's Christology a blender Christology, where you take the divine and human natures and you put them in a blender and you hit puree and whatever.
0: you get after that. That's kind of like the going. Baha'i faith with all world religions. isn't
1: it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. A, <laughs> uh, I think that's a good analogy.
0: I'm I cut really, that out. I'm not trying to
1: offend people. <laughs> and then um, Cyril is, you know, his side is the one that prevailed. And so ba- basic Orthodox um, Christology has all of it has its roots in Cyril. But then um, in the, in the next hundred years or two, after that, I can't remember the dates. Um, uh but uh, uh Chalcedon was 451 and I can't remember when the second council of Chalcedon was, but um the in the in the the next big controversy was between was with the um the Monothelites who um believed that Jesus only had one will. And um, and that led to the second council of Chalcedon. Um, where ditheletism became the official standard teaching um, of, of the church that Jesus had a human will and a divine will and his human will and his divine will are, you know, in perfect unity with one another, but right. they are still two separate wills. And, uh, um, my, uh, my early church history, uh, professor at seminary, um, his position was that Lutheran Christology is very, very much grounded in uh, the Second Council of Chalcedon, the Neo-Chalcedonians, he said, um, who were dealing with the monothelitism controversy, because as they dealt with that, they also had to deal with everything else. And and so the Christology became just a little bit better developed then than it had been um. At Chalcedon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but you know, the Gainus Myostaticum, I, I think, is 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 grounded in uh, the way that Cyril saw the um, the two natures relating to one another. Um, but uh, I mean, I I understand that it's going to make some people uncomfortable. Um, for all those reasons i said before the I, uh, for because they're concerned that it might um eliminate christ's human nature um and and I, I would simply say that um apart from a human nature um god neither uh bleeds nor dies
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah so so i i think we're still okay on that point and and that would be what i would what I would point to there um, Mm. is that, uh, I mean, you can't have the cross um, if, 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 uh, if God isn't a man. Um, And, uh, and so, so I think, I think we're still okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But, uh, but I, 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 I'm sympathetic to the, to the concerns because um, most people, you know they they want uh, they want their theology to fit together like a perfect you know puzzle with no missing pieces and none that you had to jam in and and sometimes the way that we Lutherans talk can end up sounding like um, a, a a puzzle that that doesn't even can't even be put together in any right. reasonable way
0: <laughs> right um
1: because we 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 delight in paradox
0: right well and I, that that that's something that goes back to luther in his own thought um and that's something i have always found that uh i think christianity in general has such paradoxical elements to it um and I think why why I appreciate Luther as, a, as as a think as a Christian thinker and a theologian is because he he takes that to the next level. But Christianity in general, I think, has and so I think when when people like you know people have criticisms of the Christian faith or people you know or make or criticize and make straw man arguments about it is that there's uh, it, it's they're not appreciating paradox and there's like, they're, they're not appreciating being able to hold two seemingly contradicting things, um, in, in one's mind at the same time. And so, I mean, I, I think, I mean, and that's kind of, that's the aspect of mystery that is with that, that is there in Christianity too. That has to be appreciated. I think so.
1: I, yeah, I, I agree. And, um, and i I think that I mean I'm not going to pretend that that lutherans are the epitome of humility um but when we do this right we are right <laughs> um I mean the the idea is 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 quite simply I don't understand everything mm-hmm. and um and as I read the scriptures sometimes I'm gonna come across, Um, some statements that don't seem to fit together at all. Um, But because I am utterly convinced that the scriptures are the inspired and inerrant word of God, and, you know, and these two texts that don't seem to fit together are both true. um, I'm going to say both. And allow myself to not understand it if I don't understand it. Perhaps at some point um, God will enlighten me and help me to understand how those two things go together. but he might not. Um, uh, there's this famous uh, uh, disputation by Luther. I think it's on um, I think it's on this topic kind of the on the unity of the two natures. I think it's a disputation on God becoming man. I think that's what the name of it is, and uh, and and he he kind of he kind of makes this point. He says, "Well, you know, it says this and it says this, and um, philosophy cannot describe how that can be so, mm-hmm. um, but ultimately, uh, since it's what the word gives us, it is so, and." Um, if we understood everything perfectly, we would understand that too, but we don't. And that's just where we are.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Charles, this has been an awesome episode. Um, I hope I didn't scare you off because we're going to do this again in a month over some other topic. Um, and, uh, so thank you. Thank you. Uh, for our listeners, uh, Again, Charles Lehman, our new member of the team. (laughs) And so, um, and for also for our listeners, um, before we wrap up, our next episode will be with Dr. Daniel Peterson, who will come and talk about Schleiermacher, who Charles and I just did a course on. (laughs) We spent all of the fall doing, Uh, do you know Daniel Peterson by, you know of him? No,
1: I, I don't.
0: He's, he works with like, he's at Aberdeen now as a, I believe, a research fellow. I'll get that right when the episode <laughs> comes where I'm talking to him, but he works with Paul Nemo, um, written a couple of books on Schleiermacher. He's one of the more recent, I guess, uh, up and coming generation of Schleiermacher scholarship. And, um, I've had him as a Facebook friend for a while and he's, uh, he's going to be on the show, um. And again, Charles and I both. In and Charles and I will have to do a Schleiermacher episode one. We both did, we both did coursework, and um, I have to confess I did not read the paper you sent me, Charles. But I will. I was going to send you the paper I wrote, the my term paper I wrote. But I was going to wait until I read yours because it wouldn't be fair for me to, to do that. Um, but yeah, so that's our next episode, and we will look forward also to having Charles on again. Um, and yeah, so God bless everyone. And take care.